It is a great day to be together, and I am so glad that we are gathering and uh, that we get to serve, serve Jesus together. And, and maybe for some of you, that is, it's almost like I've spoken another language. Like, what does that even mean? I don't understand that. Well, listen, he has changed our life, and I'm going to share some, uh, I'm going to share one pretty cool miracle that got shared with the church this morning. I'll share that for you in a little bit, but. What I want you to do at every location as we are in Dover and Milton and in Plymouth having service this morning is I just want you to open your hearts to what he wants to do in your life and, uh, and to allow him to expand what you think is possible for him to do through you. In February 15 years ago, so nearly 15 years ago, uh, my wife Michelle and I found out that she was pregnant with our first child. We had this little one-bedroom apartment, and we began to talk through the logistics of having uh, a baby in that apartment. And we did have one larger closet, and we're like, well, if we renew our lease, that closet could be his bedroom. And, and so we wouldn't obviously shut the doors to the closet, but, but all his stuff could be there. And at nighttime, you just pop open those bifold doors and pull out his crib and and we could do that. Is that what we want to do? And we were really considering it, and, and maybe we should have done it. But what I began to do was to think through, well, could we, could we buy a house? If we're going to buy a house, we better do it now while she's still employed uh, and not try to do it after. So we begin, and rather quickly, I would say within probably within three weeks, we were under contract with a house. I just kind of, uh, let's do it, and uh, a little bit of my personality, but we went and looked at one house, and, uh, and I actually, I'm pretty, if I remember right, I went and looked at it without Michelle, and I came back and said, I found the house, we're going to buy it, and I brought her to look at it later, and listen, I don't know if you've ever bought a fixer-upper, but actually, I've done this a few I've done this a few times, and the thing, the thing about some of the fixer-uppers that I bought is that was like a really nice way to put it. And this house that we moved into, I actually, I've got a picture of the kitchen, which at first doesn't look too bad. And we were really dead broke when we bought this house, and so I ended up all those cabinets stayed. If you see this door screwed shut, that stayed screwed shut for about four months, <laughs> maybe longer. Um, but it doesn't, I don't think you look at this to think it's too bad, but there's always a part of the detail that I ended up taking a picture of that day because I didn't want anybody to forget it. I didn't want anybody, if I try to explain it, you won't get it. So we do a close up here in the counter. The counter is this fruit designed contact paper, like contact paper put over. I mean, it was just terrible. We, again, we were so broke, so we reused the sink, we reused the faucet, we reused everything we could. We, we, you know, the only reason that we were able to move forward and actually live in that house is just from our friends and family who, to, um, who, put in hours and hours alongside with us. So we ended up closing on it. We had a month left in our lease, and, and uh, my boss, who's the lead pastor of the church at that time, essentially let me take the month off 
to work on that full time and I had so many friends and family to take time off of work to help us. I mean, we pinched pennies everywhere we could. One of the things we did is we bought all broken sheetrock because we could buy all the broken sheetrock. It was like $40. And so we just screwed broken pieces of sheetrock everywhere and covered it with mud. And uh, and I'm telling you, we pinched pennies. And there's a thing about buying a fixer-upper, and it's not for everybody. And not even beyond the hard work, because later on we sold this house, and I ended up buying my childhood house, and, uh, and, and things that my parents needed to update when they bought the house in 1987 or 19, 1988, still hadn't been updated yet, and I, I think it was 2017 or something. They hadn't been updated yet, though they were 70 years past. But the thing about... Buying that, not only, it, it's difficult, it's stressful, it's hard, it's dusty. Everything you eat tastes like drywall dust for, for a few months. But the hardest part is having a vision to see past what's in front of you. To look at fruit-covered contact paper and say, this is where I want to raise our child. And to hold hands and let's take a picture. <laughs> this is it. This is our dream home. No, this is not our dream home. This is... But we have a vision of what could be. Today's Vision Sunday, and we're going to share and celebrate a few things that, that have happened, a few things that God has done. We're going to have a, a small glimpse of what could be in the future. But the spiritual state of New Hampshire, I've talked about it often, but if you're new to Restoration Church, you haven't heard us talk about it. New Hampshire is the least churched state in the country in the middle of the least church region of the, of the country. So Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts are tied in first and second place. So four of the top two least church uh, states are right here. We're in the midst of that. New Hampshire, beyond that, we've, we've talked about this, that uh, we are first, though, in the country, but in another bad stat, we are first in the country in fentanyl-related overdose overdose deaths. And you can look around everything and think like, maybe I should move to, I don't know, South Carolina, Texas, Florida. Maybe we should move somewhere different. And I want our church, I want you as followers of Jesus to have a vision, not at what we see in front of us, but a vision of what God can do through us. What we see is not how it will always be. New Hampshire, it won't won't be for much longer the least churched state in the country. It won't be for much longer just riddled and being overrun through addiction and death, those things will change. Now, some of you can't see past the orange shag carpeting that's kind of all in front of us. Like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't move in here. No way. Like, listen, if you change the carpeting, you've just made $20,000 on this house. You gotta, come on, get a vision with me. And instead of bailing out of church, instead of bailing out on Jesus, instead of bailing out on the region, say, all right, it may be covered, 
The state may be covered with shag carpeting. But what does God want to do? What does he want to do? And I am as convinced as I've ever been that he is moving. We had one testimony this morning. I had, right before I walked on stage, someone gave me another testimony of something God did in their life. He is moving. He is active. He's doing miracles. And it is awesome. It is great to be a part of it. Now, today, this conversation that we've been having so far this year has been the topic of like Jesus. For us as individuals and us as a church to become like Jesus, we, we spent three weeks talking about prayer, and today we're talking about vision. We want to have vision like Jesus. We're going to pause this series, and next week we'll start a new series called, um, called New, and we'll go through that for a few weeks, and we've got Easter coming up on April 9th, but this idea, this theme of like Jesus, we're going to continue all year long, because we want to be like him. We want to look like him, and act like him, and talk like him, and love like him, and have faith like him, we want to have vision like him. Jesus said this in John chapter 4, verse number 35. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. This is a vision statement. Jesus is walking in to, to a fixer up. He's walking into her house. He's saying, hey, imagine with me we remove this wall. Imagine with me if we, if we adjust this. Imagine with me. He's saying, you're, you're, you're thinking that harvest is still a long time away. No, the harvest is now. It's right in front of you. Wake up. Have a vision. Realize what we're up to, what I'm doing, and how you can be a part of it. One of the things that I want us to see and it's being, um, being, it's starting to be talked about nationally. There's this quote that I've, that I've shared before, but one, uh, one author wrote this. The next few years could see as many as 100,000 of the nation's estimated 384,000 churches. So that's about one-third of the churches in the United States closing in the next few years. The next few, uh, a third of them could disintegrate and be gone. I don't, I don't like that. And I want us to have a vision not just for what's happening in the building when we come to service. I want us to have a vision not just of what we get out of service. I want us to have a vision not just about our own life, but to have a vision of the, all those, all those communities where those churches are closed, all those families and children and kids whose lives will be affected for eternity at the loss of a gospel witness in their town. There's a few things 
And, 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 I, and I would say this about, about that, about those 100,000 churches. One of the things that that points to and what that shows us is it shows us 100,000 churches and church people who have lost a vision. At some point, they stopped remembering why they gather. At some point, they stopped understanding why they followed Jesus, and it became about anything other than his mission. It became about anything other than their purpose. And this happens all the time. And we fight for this because it is a pressure on us all the time. Vision does a few things. Vision, number one, and you have to, I'll have to explain this, but vision delivers a discount. Something costs, you know, an immense amount of money. You can be like, I don't know about that. But if you've got a vision for something, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so bad. Luke 14, 28 says, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Now, if the, the cost can be too high for something until you have vision. For some people who get married, before they're married, they hear of what others have spent on their wedding. They're like, oh my word, that's a lot of money. You could buy a house with that much money. And then it's their turn to be married, and all of a sudden, now it seems like, how do they do it with so little money? I'm gonna need double that to accomplish what I wanna accomplish. You think about uh, the cost of a, the price of a purse. I, if I had to buy a purse, I would wanna shop around at, a, at Goodwill. Like, let's find a good price. Uh, you know, what tag is half off? All right, any of these purses have a pink slip on it so it could be half off. Six bucks, too much. I want the one that's three bucks. But some of you, you look at, oh, wow, that purse, it's $299. What a great deal. And you snatch it up <laughs> and you buy it and you're bragging to all your friends how great of a deal it was. But for me, that's not a deal. That's a travesty. <laughs> My wife says, I'd, I'd like to buy this purse. I said, if you go to the flea market and see if there's a knockoff one, <laughs> it looks the same. But when I have a vision of a truck or a dirt bike or a crappy house, <laughs> it's like, no, you gotta understand. You gotta under I remember one of the houses we lived in, and, and you know, my, my wife said, Milton, watching one of the houses we lived in, I mean, it was horrible. It was me, my wife, and our four kids. We shared a bedroom for three, three weeks because it was the only livable room in the entire house. And for three weeks, I killed myself to get them all their own bedrooms, to get myself my own bedroom. And then we lived without a kitchen. It was four months before we finally got a kitchen sink. She was washing dishes in the bathtub, and we were cooking on a George Foreman grill and a grill, and it was wild. And Michelle was saying, 
I don't ever want to do this again. Why are we doing this? And I would say, Michelle, if someone paid us $100,000 to live like this, would you do it? Well, of course. We're doing it. That's what we're doing. We're paying ourselves $100,000 to live like this for a short season because when we sell this house later, that's the profit we'll make. My estimates were a little low, actually. (laughs) Vision delivers a discount. When you have a vision for something, all of a sudden, maybe the cost isn't so high. The other thing that happens is that vision endures. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. Uh, Hit me the next part of this verse. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He understood what the cross was gonna do, and that's what Stephen talked about last week when he talked through the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane. Just a side note, I really hurt my hand. (laughs) It's like, just, anyway. Let me just shake that off for a second. (laughs) Who for the joy that was awaiting, what was this joy? It was us. He endured the cross because of his vision of us seated with him in the heavenly places, united with his father, forgiven of our sins, free from our past, free from from the enemy. And with joy, he endured it. Vision endures painful seasons, difficult times because of what is coming Last thought on vision. Vision brings a future. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 18. I'll read it in the King James Version because that's where it's most, you've probably heard, if you've heard it, you've heard it most famously recorded this way. And it says, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, 100,000 churches perish. Where there is no Church proclaiming the good news of Jesus, people perish. Well, our understanding of Jesus has to go far beyond our personal needs. Our understanding of church has to go far beyond, honestly, even whether or not we like it or not. Our understanding of church has to be a vision for other Like Jesus, our hope. Prayer for you, for me, for our church is that we would have vision like Jesus, and our vision would be for our vision would be of a future for those who are without him at that at this moment. Our vision would be for others. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse number 32: I have come to call not those who think they are righteous but to those who know they are sinners and need to repent. 
His vision wasn't for himself. His vision wasn't for religious institution. His vision wasn't for people who think they're good. His vision was for those who were lost. For those who didn't know him. For those who had never received him. That was his vision. Now, this morning, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but we got a testimony in that, that I want to share with you. 13 months ago, someone in our, in our Plymouth location was faced with a scary prognosis and a lot of hard choices. And throughout those, the last 13 months, she's made decisions based on the word of God, not based on the pressure the doctors were putting on her. But today she shared this on, uh, on the church Facebook page. 13 months ago, the doctors disco- discovered a condition in my brain where both the, of the tubes that bring blood from the inner brain to the cerebellum were flattened. At the time, I was pregnant and couldn't have the necessary surgery due to the radiation required to place the stints. This is a condition she was born with. And according to the neurosurgeon, those tubes are not pliable. They cannot naturally flatten out or expand. So it's not a condition that can fix itself, but rather it will get worse on its own. However, I'm a child of the great almighty. My father doesn't know the same restrictions that medical science does. I worship the creator of the human body. Guys, my scans yesterday showed absolutely no sign whatsoever of that condition. It is gone. No aneurysms, no stenosis, no masses, lesions, or bleeds. My shunt is functioning fully and God is on my side. Hallelujah. He's not a God of coincidence, he's a God of miracles. And when New Hampshire turns around and the miracles happen in people's lives, and we celebrated 11 miracles, yes, last week with 11 water baptisms across our locations. These are miracles, not coincidences. God is moving. God is alive. God is powerful. God is active. I left it on my seat, but... I want you to grab your Kingdom Builders guides that were handed, likely, I assume, at the other locations as well, handed in to you when you walked in. Bill, will you do me a favor? Will you hand me? Yeah, perfect. Thank you, sir. Yes. This guide, this Kingdom Builders guide, it's a bit of a vision. What, what can we do? What can we accomplish this year if we give above and beyond our tithe? What is God putting before us, and you've got that to take home and to read, and I really want to give you an update on a couple of things. One, we're launching a fourth location in Bethlehem on Easter Sunday, Bethlehem, New Hampshire. People from every single location spent the day there yesterday filling up a dumpster, cleaning, vacuuming, painting, and we got more done yesterday than I think is humanly possible. They, that crew that showed up yesterday killed it. They had hustle. 
and they, we, so much was done yesterday. Uh, there's another one happening this coming Saturday. If you're available and you're able to uh, sow some seeds into that ground. The, it's underway, it's happening. We have got a team building that have been unconnected with Restoration Church previously that are gonna help us to launch that location. Last year, we purchased a, a, a former salon in Rochester, New Hampshire with the dream of turning it into a sober living home. And so that's called Restoration Recovery, and it is underway. We've been slowed down through the permitting process and just through, you know, the, uh, the uh, supply chain that's affected everybody else. We put a deposit to order a new HVAC system, and then we got the response back. Hey, uh, Trains isn't available. Reams isn't, under, isn't available. Uh, I forget the other big brand name that's not available. And so it's like, we want to buy an HVAC system. You couldn't. Uh, so anyway, we've been slowed down a lot, but it is underway. It is, things are happening. The HVAC system is back in stock, and so we're able to purchase that. Um, and all that's happening behind the scenes. We don't talk about it every week because sometimes there's not too much to talk about. Uh, we're waiting. But that's happening. That's, uh, that property is purchased, um, and, and amazing things are happening. And at, at some point soon, it will be opening, and, uh, and it will have... 20 beds, and there'll be people that are living there and, and um, being touched by God there. So currently, right now, the three things is the HVAC system, the, we're sprinkling the house, and the septic system, the septic design. Those are all, those are the things that are happening that we're, we, all three of those should be finalized soon, and then we're on to the next step. I want to share with you something that we've never shared publicly before, except maybe way back in 2011. But over the last few years, um, one of the leaders in our church, Marilyn Taylor, and I, we've had a lot of conversations in the church building as she serves on the deacon board and she serves administratively at the church. And so right about what I would be leaving, she'd be coming in to, to do some volunteer work and we'd sit and we'd talk and we'd talk and Marilyn would cry and then we'd pray. And it was a dream that God put in her heart that, that I didn't want her to give up on, that I, that I felt was aligned with our church. And and I just kept telling her, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'd try to make connections with her and it looks like we, well, it, let me be less vague. We have been given an opportunity now, one that we've been praying for and working toward to start essentially a restoration ministry, restoration location in the prison system in New Hampshire. Our first opportunity is here in Stratford County and Maryland now that we've, she got that news just a few days ago. She, we're now in the public 
recruitment phase. Four to six people to be on that team. I mean, I assume from one of our two Stratford County locations to serve on that team with Marilyn. She can begin training you. You got to go through training uh, through the prison as well. And in a few short weeks, every single Sunday, we'll have a team in there ministering. This is the woman's side of the prison ministering to those women. Is that you? Is that something you've been praying about? Is that something that even now as I've spoken it, God has said, okay, I'm in, I'm in. If you're in Dover today, we'll connect you with her today. If you're at one of the other locations, you can email me, Nate, N-A-T-E, at restorationchurch.cc, and we will connect you with her. The prayer is that there'll be four to six people who are trained that will alternate weeks. It doesn't even have to serve every week, but begin to alternate different weeks that Marilyn could continue pursuing getting in and having ministry on a state level. And so this is our first opportunity. The hope is to begin to have multiple opportunities and to be in, in, the, in multiple state prisons. Will you pray about that with us? Last thing here that I want to share as a celebration of last year, our Kingdom Builders totals. We shared with you previously that our miracle offering, our one-day offering that we took in November for the Kingdom Builders Guide of last year, that one-day offering was $82,120.65. This year, I want to share with you our total overall Kingdom Builders giving for all ages. Our kids have Kingdom Builders projects. Our teens have Kingdom Builders projects that, that then get added into our Kingdom Builders projects. Church, this is, this is unreal. This is unreal. <laughs> this is unreal. But, but in 2022, our total Kingdom Builders giving through all the ministries of our church was $194,000. $194,000. When you combine our kingdom builders giving and our missions giving, missions giving, um, when you tithe, we tithe. So you give a dollar, we take 10 cents, and we're immediately putting that into supporting missionaries and missions. Those two numbers combine kingdom builders and, uh, and, and missions $252,716.31. A quarter of a million dollars. One of our long, one of, one of the things we're going after as a church is that we would eventually be 10 locations giving a million dollars annually to kingdom builders and we would raise up uh, 100 um, ministers and missionaries to fill the gaps, to bring the good news to, to places that are forgotten about. We are, on this, on this category, a quarter of the way there. 
the day that we stated that for the first time publicly, it was, it was, a, almost, it was a, embarrassing to even say it because it just seemed like there were some scoffers in the room who were like, that'll never happen. <laughs> Felt like my dad, when I bought my childhood house, he's like, why did you buy this thing? This is a money pit. <laughs> yes, that's a money pit. I'm going to dive in like Scrooge McDuck here. Why do we do all of this? And I, we don't want to, because it's not about like a big number. We're gonna, why do we do all this? There's a movie that came out in 1993, Schindler's List. And Oscar Schindler was a greedy German businessman and he recognizes he's got an opportunity to make significant profit on the backs of Jewish workers. Their, their labor is really cheap. It's a lot cheaper to have a Jewish man or woman work for you than it is to have a German work for you. And so this is now part of his economic plan. He doesn't like people, love Jewish people. He likes money. He loves money. He hires an accountant man named Isaac Stern. He's a Jewish man, and he's working with Schindler to get Jews to the factory. So I'm hiring as my accountant, and as my connection to that community, give me cheap workers, bring, bring me the money. What, he, what happens is, Jews who are working in factories are considered essential, and so their lives are, are spared from getting sent to concentration camps, which Stern recognizes and knows, and so he's trying as hard as he can to get Schindler to hire Jewish workers because Stern knows it's saving their lives. Schindler doesn't care. He's just concerned about his profit. Eventually, he recognizes what's happening and he gets angry. Stern is getting Schindler to hire as many Jewish people as possible because by them having a job, it saves them from gas chambers. But when Schindler finds out, he becomes angry and he demands that it stops. Over time, however, he begins to witness the way that the Nazis are, are mistreating and the atrocities that the Nazis are doing to the Jewish people and something in his heart changed. And he not only allowed Stern to hire more Jews, Schindler took an active role in saving them. He becomes one of the most significant defenders of Jewish people during World War II. In the beginning, he's exploiting Jews. By the end, he risked his life and spent his entire fortune to smuggle over 1,100 Polish Jews into Czechoslovakia. When the war ended, he was penniless. And in one of the final stages of, final scenes of the movie, Schindler knows he's going to be arrested and so he's going to escape. And we're gonna watch a scene, this ending scene, where Schindler is surrounded by by the thousand lives that he has saved by employing them. And they've gathered to say thank you to him. The only thing they have of any value is a gold ring 
that they present him that's been fashioned from the gold fillings of Jewish men and women. They're presenting this ring as a show of gratitude to him. I want to show you, church, this clip. And I want you to connect this into the eternal mission that God has given us. Piece of curse. I want. Um, I want that cloth distributed to the workers. Two and a half meters each. Also, each person is to get a bottle of vodka. They won't drink it. They know its value. Likewise, those Egyptian cigarettes we organized. It'll be done. Everything you ask. We've written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. people. This pin. 
this is gold. Two more people. It would have given me two for at least one. It would have given me one. One more. One more person. You see him looking at the faces he saved, but his heart broken on those he didn't save. You know, there's a lot in this time of history, but there's something that came to mind here as we were watching this clip together is that when the Jewish people were being taken from their homes and put in ghettos and put in labor camps and then eventually put in concentration camps. For many of the German people, they turned out to be a good deal for them because they could go to the thrift stores and buy the really nice clothes that the Jewish people used to own that was stolen from them and get it as a good deal. And some people were questioning, like, didn't you feel guilty about that? And they're like, well, I mean, I need to close my kids. And, and they were just desensitized to what was going on. As a church, it has, to, it has to be beyond our own comfort. It has to be about more than our comfort. For the, for the last decade, for over a decade now, we've been talking about Matthew 28, the great commission that Jesus gave to every Christian, to every church. Go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we, we verbalize that in three words. Just one more. That we won't ever be done reaching people. We won't ever be done sharing Jesus with people. Because there are people like Crystal who need a God of miracles to touch their body. And to give them another day with their family. To give them another day on this earth. Because there are people like those who were baptized last week who are without hope, who are just taken down and beaten down by this world, who need a coworker or a family member or a friend to say, hey, I know this seems crazy, but Jesus changed my life and he can do the same thing for you. 
Because there needs to be churches where they're not fighting about the colors on the wall or, or the colors of the carpet or, or their ministries or their seed or their preferences, but they're saying, have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard his good news? And as a church, that it will always be about just one more. That when our auditoriums get filled, we figure out a way to make another service in order to have more seats. That we'd figure out another wall to move that we could have more seats. That we'd figure out how to have more ministry spaces and more locations that we would think, wait a minute, what are we doing? What are we doing? There's 1.1 million people in New Hampshire today that aren't going to any church, have no desire to go to any church. They're just missing it. That we as a church to say, what can we do? What is the little part we can, pe- we can play? What can we do? There, the, last week we celebrated 11 baptisms, which is a huge miracle that in the least church state in the country, 11 people declared publicly to the world, I'm following Jesus. This coming Easter, as, a, as every single location as we launch Bethlehem, we are just praying and being prepared for the largest Easter service we've ever had in our church's history. And we're just, we're just believing. I want you to pray and believe with us and be a part of this, that on Easter Sunday, over 900 people will be in our services across the state. That is crazy to think through, but yet maybe we feel a little bit like Oscar Schindler saying it's not enough, but it's a start. Not trying to get people who go to other churches. We're trying to connect in with those 1.1 million who haven't heard, haven't had the opportunity, haven't experienced it. Church, will you close your eyes and will you pray a real prayer with me right now? Jesus, our life is yours. Our comfort is yours. Our church is yours. Our models, our methods, our preferences, they're yours. Jesus, help us to reach just one more. Jesus, help us to be like you, to live in such a way that others would come to know you. May we be people of prayer. May we be people of vision. May we be your people and may we bring your good news to the world Jesus for those who are in our services today they're one of those who've never known you they've never given you their life we thank you Jesus that you want to receive them now and from where they're sitting as they pray this to you in their own words and from their own heart you save them, you forgive you them, you forgive them, you rescue them as they pray, Jesus, I give you my heart today.
I receive you. I accept you as my Savior. I believe that you're God. And today, I decide to follow you. Jesus, I thank you for just one more. Thank you for another person today who's met you and been forgiven and saved by you and has had their eternity changed by you. Jesus, we love you, and we pray this all in your mighty name. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet? Could we sing for just a moment and celebrate a good God who has done so much in us?